Go ahead. <laughs> Hi, my name is John Messelt. Um, we're members at Hope. This is my wife, Andrea. And we and our family are um, members at Hope. I've been at Hope since I was a little kid, so I've never really known a church home um, outside of this place. And I came to Hope as a junior in college and really never left. Been on staff for quite a few years and really love being a part of this body of believers. And we met here. Yes, we did. <laughs> years ago. It's not just a head thing, it's a heart thing. Mm -hmm. It's a, where is your, um, where does your treasure lie? Um, so we just, early on in our marriage, really just took that to heart. And we didn't necessarily maybe like it, but I, we knew we needed to trust it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we just have seen the fruit of that. Some of those decisions we were pretty nervous about years ago, but we've seen the fruit of that mm -hmm. since then and hopefully will for years to come. When I think of the word generous, I think of being open-handed with what you have. And so rather than being clenched fists with what you have, we try to hold the things that we have loosely so that we feel freed up to, to be generous, to give, um, whether it is of our time, our words, or our possessions, or our wealth, um, just to be open-handed. Something I've learned is that the, um, what can be really tempting for us in our culture is like the comparison game. So not only your things that you have, but also what other people might be doing with their giving or their saving or whatever, and I, I just, we really try to just remove ourselves from that because you know, comparing yourself to others just leads you down two paths, either envy or pride, both of which are you know, dark places to live. So um, we're always trying to keep ourselves in check around you know, whatever, our plan is our plan, and we're trying to honor God with that, but you know, we're not trying to compare ourselves to others, and we hope people aren't comparing themselves to us, um, but that just comparison game has been a kind of obvious thing I've observed through, um, you know, just my years of knowing people and being in our culture and also understanding what Jesus and God say about, you know, the path that we should be on. So I would offer that as just something for people to think about because we wrestle with it all the time and perhaps others do too. I think it boils down to trust. Uh, you know, is he trustworthy? Is is God trustworthy with what you have? And in the end, it's all his. Um, and so when we give, it's it's not, we don't give because the church needs your money. We give because Jesus knows that our hearts are intimately tied to, well, we're gonna idolize something. We're gonna worship something. So we're either gonna worship God and honor him and serve him and be generous with what he has given us or we're gonna cling and hold tight to money and all that that, uh, how that plays itself out. When it comes to generosity, I was thinking about John 3:16, and you know, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life and that is the generosity of God and if we really believe the gospel if we really believe that is true then our lives need to reflect that in 
um, moving the gospel forward with our generosity and with our time and in all of those ways that our lives are a reflection of the gospel of Jesus. And so if we believe the gospel to be true, then it needs to be reflected in our generosity on many levels. Good morning. Thank you, choir, for the beautiful song. I do need the Lord very much, don't we all? And uh, welcome to those who are worshiping online and worshiping with us today. If you're a guest with us, a special welcome to you. We're continuing with this uh, sermon series called The Culture of Hope. And today I'm going to be talking about sacrificial generosity and what that means in our lives. I want to jump right into this text, the gospel text that was read for us. It's a powerful story of Jesus witnessing an offering of great faith. Right before this text, we see that Jesus is in the temple. So this is Holy Week, what we call Holy Week. Jesus has entered triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey, what we know as Palm Sunday. And now he's in, in the temple, and I think I have a slide there of the, the temple layout. And the, he is in the, what is called this, this court of women or that outer court. And this area would have been incredibly crowded at the time. And we have recorded in the gospel some of the teachings and parables of Jesus that he offers in this temple time. And one of the things about the, the temple is that in this outer court, there would have been a treasury. You can see that. And the treasury would have contained, kind of outlined it, these, these upside-down trumpet-shaped vessels where people would have come in during regular times of the year to offer their tithes and their seasonal offerings, their special offerings, their tithes and their offerings. I think I got a picture, actually, of what that might have looked like. And so Jesus has just taught a, a parable that we probably all know where the, 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 the Pharisees send their religious lawyers to question him and ask a question. They want to get Jesus in trouble. And they ask Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes as a Jewish person to Caesar or not? Now, why this would have got Jesus in trouble? If he answers yes, he would have been seen as a traitor to his people because the Jews, of course, were under an occupation by Rome and also could have been considered committing heresy because on that coin, which Caesar's faith was inscripted, were the words sola fideli, which would have meant son of God. And, and so Jesus, by acknowledging that you should pay taxes under Roman occupation, would have been breaking the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods uh, but God alone. And so they, they think we got him trapped that way. If he says no, well, then they can call in the Romans, and they can say, look, this guy's an insurrectionist. He's trying to get everybody to stop supporting Rome, to stop paying taxes. So Jesus is kind of trapped by this question. Is it lawful to pay taxes? And he says, hey, give me a coin. He says, whose face do you see on it? Whose inscription is on that? And Jesus gives this remarkable answer. He says, bear on to Caesar what is Caesar's and bear on to the Lord's what is Lord's. It's genius. Because what he says is, you know, yes, Caesar may be in, have earthly power and things like coins may have his face on it. 
But hey, remember, everything belongs to God. Bear unto the Lord's what is the Lord. Everything belongs to God. And so then we fast forward just a little bit in that same chapter of Mark 12. We see that, that Jesus has withdrawn a little bit and he must be leaning up against a wall or something. And he's watching the crowd. And he's watching all these people come in and put their offerings before Passover. And it says that some wealthy people, and there were wealthy people in that region, uh, farmers, uh, landowners, businessmen who, who had great amount of wealth because of the trade and the opportunities that existed, and they were coming in and they were laying down and for everybody to see these massive offerings. They were filling those vessels. They were filling those vessels. But in wobbles this widow, probably not drawing attention from anyone, and she puts in two small copper coins. It would be equivalent of less than a penny for us today. Less than a penny, not even a day's wages, one one-hundredth of a day's wages back in that time. And Jesus says, look at that. Did you see that? And I imagine the disciples, these young men, probably didn't see it at all. I mean, they, they saw the, the, the rich people in the fancy robes with their attendants come in and lay down these massive offerings, and they're probably like, whoa, that's a lot of cash. But Jesus says, no, did you see that? This woman, in her poverty, has given all that she had to live in. She's put on far more than all of these other so what do we learn from this, this parable? What, what can be taught to us about what sacrificial generosity means? Well, I believe two things. The first is, is that generosity is a matter of the heart. Generosity is first and foremost a matter of our hearts. Jesus talks about money out of 11 out of 39 parables. 11 out of 39 parables. I know for some people, uh, they hate Stewardship Sunday and they, and they despise the fact, and some pastors don't even preach about those parables because it's a sensitive subject in our world, right? We don't want to hear church talk about money. But we would be remiss as disciples of Christ and as your pastors to not focus on something that Jesus talks about 11 out of 39 of his parables. The reason he does is not because Money's such an important thing. In fact, money in and of itself is neutral. It's neutral. But the reason why Jesus does is because he knows wealth and the things that it represents have a way of becoming a false idol in our lives, a false idol in our hearts like nothing else. And so when Jesus says, look at that offering that this woman is giving, I want to be clear. He's not glorifying poverty, and he's not glorifying wealth. But what he is saying is that giving generosity is a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust, and it really, really matters. Your heart really matters to God. In fact, he's kind of flipping things upside down because in his time, the, the Jewish people would have had a common understanding that if a person is wealthy, if they are materially successful, that was a sign of God's favor. 
right? Wow, look at them. They, they must be really favored by God. They must be doing things really right. God must really love them because they, they're, they're wealthy, they're successful, they have a large estate, they have all the things. But Jesus says, look, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're wealthy or you're poor. And we see that in the way he lives. He encounters Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector, and he engages lepers and prostitutes, right? It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor. What matters is your heart's relationship to God. This is the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. He wants to make sure that money, wealth, stuff does not become an idol in our lives. This is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What does God want from you? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And Jesus is teaching, all of his parables focus on this reality that wealth, stuff, can get in the way of that. And the goal then, because money is a matter of of our heart, because generosity is a matter of our heart, is not to fall in love with money. Is not to fall in love with our stuff. That's the goal. We can learn lessons of this from a guy named Solomon in the Old Testament. You remember him? Solomon was the wealthiest and and wisest Jewish person in the Old Testament that ever lived. He was a king. God granted him wisdom, and as a result of that, he amassed great wealth. Here's what the Bible says about his wealth. He he received 4.5 tons of gold each year. It's just a little bit. 6,000 kilos of wheat a day, 12,000 kilos of beef a day, and 4,000 kilos of other meats a day. Apparently back then you were paid in meat, which I think is a fair system, (laughs) right? Solomon had everything his heart could possibly desire materially. But what does he say about this? And At the end of his life, he writes in Proverbs 13, 7, he says, one man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Money is deceiving. He he writes about this in Ecclesiastes. He says, I look at everything that I have, and it's, it's vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. He has everything in the world. All the power and, and, and might and influence that he could possibly imagine. And he says, under the sun, It's all meaningless. Because the truth of the matter, and what Jesus is proclaiming to us today, is that the desires of our heart can only be filled by God. The desires of our heart can only be filled by God. The challenge is not to fall in love with money. You know, sometimes we're just like children. Remember when you were a kid and you got that Christmas toy and you thought you needed to have it? Right, that new car, or that new whatever it was, or that game, or all those things. And you unwrapped it, and oh man, it was cool, and it was so much fun for about, what, 48 hours? We still do that as adults. We think, oh man, if I had that new car, if I, if I had that, that new experience, if, if I had that, went on that vacation, Right, if I had that, that new place and that new addition to my home or those new things, oh, it's gonna, be, it's gonna bring me so much joy. And it will, temporarily. But eventually that new car becomes a 10-year-old car and you're like, oh, this pile of junk, right? Ooh, that somebody else has got a bigger truck than me. 
They've got more stuff. And it leads us to a perpetual state of dissatisfaction. Jesus is saying, come to the one who can truly satisfy. His desire is for our hearts to be filled with his love. And giving, ultimately, is a matter of hearts, and it's a matter of sacrifice. The widow made a great sacrifice. She gave everything. Scripture often talks about giving, not in the matters of amount. You know what said in the Old Testament and the New? It never says you should give 1,000 kilos or 10,000 denarius. It says proportion, percentage is what really matters because it's a matter of sacrifice. And sacrifice means that we place God first in that generosity that we live. So the question becomes, how much should I give? How much do I have to give, right? And if you're asking the question that way, I want to say you're asking the question wrong. Because this is not a have-to sort of thing. This is not a religious obligation. Again, this is what Jesus is teaching us. He's, it's not, you know, I'm going to keep God's favor. God's going to hate me if I, if I am not generous enough. No. Jesus loves you, and there's not a darn thing, as Kevin says, you can do about it. You cannot outgive God. If you never give a penny away in your entire life, it doesn't change how much God loves you. He does. Generosity, rather, is an outflowing of our faith in our hearts. So how much should we give? Well, here's the thing. Jesus says everything. Everything. See, in, in Christian vocabulary, in biblical vocabulary, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no such thing as mine. It all belongs to God. You are called to be a steward of that. Right? You are called to be a steward of it. Now, I do believe that faithful care of your family and your community, right, managing your household well, that's, that's an important part of stewardship. But also, giving of your first fruits generously to God is a really important part of that. God first in all things. I really live by and believe the teaching of 2 Corinthians 9, Verses 6 and 7. It says this, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So if you hear this message today and you think, oh, you know, Paul's forcing me or you know, trying to pressure me into giving or you feel reluctant or under compulsion, don't give. You've got to do some heart business with God, right? God loves a cheerful giver. Each of you should decide in your heart what you should give. Look, nobody's checking. Nobody's looking. Nobody's counting. This is between you and God. I really wrestled with this, but, but for an example, and only as an example of me as your pastor, living a life of transparency as a follower. I would say for Tammy and I, my wife and I, how we've decided to live this out is we believe that the biblical example for us to live a generous life, to start generosity, is to tithe. And so the first thing that comes out of my paycheck 
is a 10% tithe to the church. That's how Tammy and I live that out. And I don't say that like, look at me, hoo-hoo, brag. Because guess what? It took me years to get to that, to figure out how to pay my bills and order my finances and to trust God with the pocketbook. And I wish I would have done it from day one, but I didn't. It took years to develop into that relationship of trust, but I can tell you the fruit that comes of that is when you put God first in your finances, all other values and things begin to align correctly. And it's a tremendous gift. It's a tremendous gift. God desires not, the Bible's clear, it's not giving out of our leftovers, not giving out of our wealth, what's left at the end of the year, but giving first and foremost out of our abundance, what God gives us, because he desires us to steward everything he has already given us. It's a matter of sacrifice. And because it's a matter of sacrifice, it is a matter of decision. It's a matter of choice for us. What are we going to give? I want to play, okay, I'm going to illustrate this. I'm going to steal an illustration from a guy named Mike Householder, who's a pastor that I look up to, and we're going to play a game. Okay? I might stretch you a little bit in a ways that you've never been stretched in church, but you're gonna, if, you, if you're able, would you please stand up? Okay, we're going to play, play a game. Okay. Okay, here's the game. You're going to make a decision. And, and, and you need to know three things in the decision. This is, the first thing you need to do is penguin. Okay? You're like, oh boy. Come on. Harness the inner child in us. It's okay. Penguin. Okay? The second thing you need to know is karate. Karate. What? Can you do that? Okay. And then the third, some of you are really good at this. Some of you, you know, this would be the first time you ever danced in church, okay? Is disco. You can tell by the way I... Okay, you guys are good at this. Oh, my goodness. We're going... Is there a disco club in town still? We're going to go. Okay, so I'm going to turn around and I'm going to jump back and you try to guess which one, make a choice, which one you're going to do beforehand, you know, penguin, karate, disco... And I'm going to jump around. I'm going to do one. And if you get it right, you stay standing. We're going to do that three times. Okay, see if you are wise decision makers. Are you ready? Okay, so pick one. Pick one. Okay, is everybody going? Is everybody going? Pastor Sarah, is everybody going? Okay, all right. Wah! Who did karate? Okay, if you did karate, stay standing. Okay, stay standing. The rest of you sit down. You're losers. No, I mean you're not. Jesus loves you. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, there is a prize with this one. There is a prize. If you win, you get free parking at any of Hope Lutheran's campuses for an entire year. Pretty amazing, huh? Okay, we'll do this again. There's, there's a lot on the line. Okay, you ready? All right, you ready? One, two, three. Disco, Yes. Okay, so we've got a few places to stand. Okay, you guys are getting good at this. All right, last one. This is good. Am I going to do penguin? You guys are trying to figure out the strategy in your head. Okay. One, two, three. Karate. We got any winners? Let's put our hands together for our winners here today. Okay, free parking. Don't forget that. Okay, now to get serious. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, 
No one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have a choice. Whom will you serve? Jesus gave everything on a cross for you. He answered that question. He said, I'm coming into this world to serve you, to lay down my life, my everything, to forgive you so that you might have the abundance of eternity. Father, thank you today for your grace and love and mercy in your son. Help us, Lord, to not get short-sighted by the stuff of this world, but guide us and lead us in your truth so that we may serve you faithfully and live generous lives in response to the generosity of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.